Let's do this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're continuing in our sermon series called Fight the Drift. If you're a guest here today, man, thanks for coming on the day like today. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're in the 19th verse, and we're going to finish out this chapter here today. My name is Eric Baker. I'm one of the pastors here. Thankful that you are here and joined with us. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the Bible out in front of you, probably in a pew located next to you. If not, please use it on your phone, but I want to make sure that everyone is following along with me. This is the most important part of a sermon. It's the part where we read God's Word. It's not the extra commentary that comes out of my mouth. It's the Word of God. So let us read together the word of God. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to, to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, least... After preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. All for the sake of the gospel. Paul says these words in this text, all for the sake of the gospel. Inside the book of 1 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, Paul is dealing with this idea that we as Americans definitely love And that is the idea and the principle of freedom, that we are free. The Bible will declare that those of us who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that we've been set free and we are free indeed, that we are not bound to any kind of certain ritual or certain ceremony, but those of us who are in Christ have been set free from sin, Satan, and death to live in a way that is contrary to all of those things, which includes our culture. Last week, I told you in the conclusion that I was segwaying and bridging a bridge from last week's sermon to this week's sermon when I began to discuss the servanthood of Jesus, that Jesus, in the very word of God, that on the night before that he would be crucified, he takes out a towel, a basin of water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He tells them that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. We, as followers of Jesus, serve other people for the sake of the gospel. We, as followers of Jesus, serve Jesus by serving other people for the sake of the gospel. 
If Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, then again, we serve him by serving other people. There are even people in our congregation, and I'm not going to start throwing out some names because I'm sure I'll offend somebody because I missed you. But I know of certain people within our congregation that really have this mentality, that their head is constantly on a swivel toward other people in our membership specifically, and other people's needs, that they're constantly asking themselves, how might I serve such and such? How might I contribute? How might I help? How might I speak to? How might I meet a need? Um, MCs, our missional communities, our version of small groups here at, at Mission should be filled with people whose heads are constantly on a swivel looking how might they serve and outserve other Christians specifically. This is extremely important. Why? Because this is very Christ-like. I want you to understand this this morning. Please get this. Christians are not only people who like Jesus. I meet lots of people who like Jesus, who are non-Christians. Christians are not just people who like Jesus. Christians are people who strive in all things to be like Jesus. See, there's a lot of people who have a love affair with the person of Jesus, but they live nothing like him. They claim to have a relationship with him, but their lives are not marked by likeness of him. The Bible calls us to, yes, love, to pursue, to have our greatest affections be towards Jesus. But when Jesus saves you, you also want to be like him. And what was he like? That towel, that basin, leads to a cross. And Jesus would call you and I, if we truly are called by him to be saved, to follow after him in every way. Jesus commands us to take up our own crosses and to follow Jesus. The picture of a cross is one of great sacrifice. And what do you sacrifice? Your freedoms, your rights, in the service of God and the service of others. That all, all things, do all things for the sake of the gospel. And Paul reiterates that last week as he says that I am free to be paid by the congregations. And yet, in the specific congregation that he is ministering to in that moment, Paul does not receive payment, but he receives payment from the other churches that he has started. And then when he leaves them, then he's going to require of them to help him move this gospel and to continue to preach this gospel and to start more churches. But Paul should be given compensation for being the pastor and preacher and planter of this church. And yet he gives up that right for the sake of the gospel. And then he continues this train of thought into these verses that we talked about or just read. The first thing that we need to see in these first few verses is that Paul, as a servant of Christ Jesus, is going to be a servant to all people. Notice here in the first few verses, he says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Then he goes on, verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to, what? Win 
the Jews, to those under the law, that would be the Jewish people, I became as one under the law. All right? He's not, he is free from the law. But what does Paul do in order to win Jewish people who are under the law? He gives up his freedom, he gives up his rights, and submits to the law in order to serve the Jewish people so that he has a, a bridging of the gap between himself and the Jews. So that's what he's going to do. When he's around a Jew, he acts like a Jewish person. He goes on because he's also ministering to the Gentiles. He continues here, what, in verse 21, to those outside the law, so the Gentiles. This morning, all of us here are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. So that's everyone's here today. To those outside the law became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So Paul, when he is ministering to a Jewish context, Paul, though a Christian, is going to look, sound, speak, act like a Jew. When, when Paul is around Gentiles, he is probably going to dress, look more like, speak more like. Paul will even quote in some of his sermons to Gentile believers, they're philosophers in the book of Acts. He's going to use language that is uh, complementary to the language of that particular culture. So Paul is saying, to be a servant of all, when I want to reach the Jews for Christ, then I'm going to be essentially very Jewish. When I'm going to be around the Gentiles, then I'm going to be essentially very um, Gentile-like. But he goes on here to say that a third group, in verse 22, to the weak, I became weak. Why? That I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, by, that by all means I might save some. So Paul understands the value of something that we say each week typically here at Mission, and that is the value of the text and context of which you are ministering. This is extremely important. This is extremely invaluable. How many of you guys know what the Gospels are? Inside your Bible, they're the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Now, what's interesting about that is that several of those stories, they're, they're telling the story of Christ. But even those gospel writers understood exactly what Paul was talking about here. Because who does Matthew write to? He is trying to persuade Jewish people to convert to Christianity. So throughout Matthew's gospels, what is he constantly doing, Bible people? He's quoting the Old Testament. He's using their language over and over and over again to show these Jewish readers that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He is becoming and addressing those people according to their culture and to their understanding. Mark, he's writing to Gentiles. So he writes the gospel of Mark is written toward a Gentile audience. Luke is also writing to a Gentile audience. Um, and then John, who's different than all the other Gospels, um, man, he's, that brother's trying to reach everybody through one book. Right? Whoever read it, he is trying to connect with them. We see this, 
this addressing of the gospel and this presenting of the gospel, though the message is, is the exact same, whether they're Jew or Gentile, the message is the same, but, but the, the approach to reaching those people with the story of the gospel will be different depending on who they are around. Paul offers his life as a living sacrifice for Jesus and the cause of the gospel. Let me put, give you one of the examples. If Paul is hanging out with the Jews and he is trying to get the Jewish people to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, um, that within the Jewish law, they refuse to eat one of my favorite food groups. It's called bacon. It's in the pyramid all by itself. It's the superior meat. Okay? And if you don't like bacon, come to Jesus. Bacon is the delicious delicacy given us to the Lord by, through a na dirty, nasty pig. And so Jewish people will not be eaten pork. So if Paul is trying to use and to reach Jewish people, and he invites them over to a good old smoking grill out time in the backyard in the middle of Israel, guess what brother is not going to serve? Bacon. He's not going to serve them bacon. He's going to be respectful of their dietary laws. Is Paul free to eat bacon? Absolutely, hallelujah. But what does he do? He refrains from eating the bacon because he does not want to be offensive to the Jewish people by offering them and eating bacon in front of them. All right? That's a very elementary, but it would be something that he would do. Now, Paul hangs out with his Gentiles, brothers and sisters. Paul eating bacon that night. Yeah. They got one of them, you know, whole pigs on the pit with an apple stuffed into his mouth. Brothers, he's doing it right, okay? Smoky pig double dipped. Can I get an amen? Smoky pig double dipped, all right? He's offering to those people. Why? Because the Gentiles don't have the same food restrictions. So when he's hanging out with the Gentiles, he's thinking, man, how can I best connect and it wouldn't just be food. I'm just using it as an example. He would say that, man, I want to make sure that uh, I'm serving these people. Another way that he would do it is if he was weak. If someone was struggling or having a weak conscience in certain areas, then in the building of relationships with these people, then he would adjust, again, the language that he would use, maybe even the clothes that he would wear. Their customs, their rituals, as long as they were not in obtuse or an obstruction against the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he doesn't care about his personal freedom in that moment. He's willing to be very chameleon-like in order to preach the same gospel to these people. He freely gives up his rights in order to see other people saved. He wants them to do this. He wants them to understand if you've ever traveled to another country or talked to a missionary like the Phillips or to the Vanderpools who we've mentioned, who are members here and they've lived in India, then they can quickly tell you how that they have adjusted um, their personal desires and preferences in order to accommodate the customs of the people that they're trying to reach. If you didn't know this, that most missionaries, uh, when they go to a foreign country, especially if they're going to be there for a, over a year, is that their entire first year is building relationships with people, but most of the time is actually spent in a classroom learning the history of that country, the language, the customs, the rituals, in order. Mark and Parker didn't show up in Nehemiah and say, hey, 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 I'm American, you better speak out English. All right? No, they learned 
the language. They use that language. Why? They don't want the language to be a barrier in order of those people hearing the gospel. Even down to the way that they eat and what they eat and how they eat. When those of us who have been to Africa um, have eaten meals, meal, you know, eating to me is, is quite a god. And I'm very good. It's the best sport that I am at. It's like I'm an athlete when it comes to eating. Um, and uh, I have very peculiar things. All right, very OCD about certain things. Like, don't go digging in the food. I won't eat it. Um, you know, just different things like this, and because things gross me out. All right, um, and yet in Africa, I mean, I've set the plate down on the middle of a dirt floor in the middle of desert with Pastor uh, Todd and 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 Brian and a, a bunch of uh, Christians and Muslims all in the middle of the night eating essentially off the ground rice and beans, beans and rice, rice and beans. And it was some of the best rice and beans, beans and rice, rice and beans I've ever eaten. And I didn't care whose dirty fingers were all up in that joint. We're talking about in the middle of the bush. If I would have said to these people in, an, in English, broken English, they would not have understood me. Um, you need some parale. All right. Or you should, did you wash your hands before you came to the plate tonight? Right? I mean, you're talking about extremely offensive. Um, he is not in here, but we have a, uh, he's serving kids. Uh, Brian, when he was in Africa one of the times, I'm going to bust him out. Um, they make tea. And one of the, the premises of making good tea, especially in, in Islamic cultures, and even the Christians still make this tea, it, it takes three hours to get a shot glass. And I will not drink after my own wife. I'll kiss her on the mouth, but I won't even drink after my wife. But everybody sits in a circle with a bunch of people you don't know, and you got a shot glass of tea. So it essentially gets refilled by what? You guessed. And we're all passing this thing. And I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, help me, help me, Lord. <laughs> but they do this thing. It's like they make baristas at Starbucks and Spencer's look like they don't know what they're doing. Am I not right, Pastor Todd? They do this thing. I mean, they're throwing tea in the air. And they, they got the shimmy and everything like this. Okay, this is exactly what it looks like. But they're, they're, they're pouring this stuff. And the bigger the, the, the head, the, the froth that you get on that tea, it's more... Uh, admirable. That means you did a good job. All right. Well, someone in our congregation, his trip, it came around to him and had a big old head, like on a, an adult beverage, but this is sweet tea. They've, they've taken three hours to make a shot glass worth. And that head comes to him and he goes with his hand, I think it was his hand. Anyway, he wipes it off. Big no-no. All right? Big, he's like... And so Phillips, uh, Mark, had to tell uh, Brian, hey, like, <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> okay, brother. You got to adjust to where you're at for the sake of these people hearing the gospel. Paul was willing to give up his freedoms, his preferences. He even says, I made myself a slave. That that's the Christian mentality in service to others. 
We enslave ourselves to Jesus, to the gospel, and likewise, in the loving of God and the loving of our neighbor, that we're constantly figuring out how can we serve the people around us. As long as the, what the culture is asking is not living in contrary to biblical principles, then Paul is willing to adapt his own life, not to cause a stumbling block for people to hear the gospel. If we're going to be offensive, church family, let it be because the gospel is offensive. We don't want to be offensive just for offense's sake or placing our liberties and preference in such a way that turns away people. But on the contrary, we're going to live in such a way that, that it woos people or leads them to come to the person and work of Jesus, that there's something different about you, that there's something different about me that is enticing to non-Christians. Paul would not allow his ministry to the Jews to be affected by his ministry to the Gentiles and vice versa. When Paul was with the Jews, he would act, speak Jewish terms as long as they weren't asking him to sin. And likewise, he would act like a Gentile, speak like a Gentile, as long as what they were asking him to do was not sinful. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 44, Jesus would say, whoever wishes to be first shall be slaves to all. Look how far Paul is willing to go for other people to come to Christ. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he tells them, for the sake of the Jews, that if Paul, who is a follower of Jesus, who has been saved, if he could swap places with his brothers and sisters, the Jewish people who are lost and undone, that they're going to hell, Paul says, I would give up my right in salvation in order I would go. He's essentially saying, I would go to hell in their place. If God would save all the Jews, I would go to hell. That is giving up rights. For the sake of the gospel. Or how would you like this? Speaking specifically to the gentleman in the room. That Paul has a close confidant and traveling companion. A minister in the gospel named Timothy. Paul writes a letter to him. First and second Timothy. Timothy is a young man. It's believed that, that, that by this time that Paul is in his 60s probably. Timothy is in his 30s. Timothy has an interesting upbringing. His daddy is a Gentile, a non-Jew. But his mama and the mama side of the family, they're Jewish. All right? So Timothy grows up in a home where he has Jewish thoughts and he hears pagan thought. But the Bible tells us that, that his grandmother and his mom spent time teaching him the word of God. And so he essentially grew up um, kind of in this half-breed mentality that they would have called him. He was not, he was mixed. He was Gentile and he was Jewish. Daddy had some say about things and his beliefs. Mama had some things and her beliefs. Well, Jesus ends up saving this young man named Timothy. And Timothy is traveling with Paul, who is a full-blooded Jew. Within Judaism, if you're going to be a Jew, one of the things that set you apart in the culture was a thing called circumcision. It was a physical mark. These people are the people of God. 
Gentiles were uncircumcised. We do it now for cleanliness and all those sorts of things. But back then, it had religious ramifications. It had cultural ramifications. The Gentiles, the pagans, they were uncircumcised. And you have to understand, too, that there was lots more nakedness that was taking place in the sense of like where you washed, you took baths, people saw each other naked, and you could say one of these things is not like the other. Sesame Street. So, get this. So Paul is about to go minister to some Jewish people. And he comes to 30-something-year-old. This is Acts chapter 16. So Paul, he comes to his buddy, his Robin, to his Batman. And he says, uh, hey, Timothy, we're about to go have a revival with the Jewish people. Okay, this is some southern language mixed in. Eric's standard version right here. We're about to go preach to the Jewish people. And, uh, buddy, I don't know how to say this, but they're not going to listen to you unless you're circumcised. This ain't in that, you know, fresh out the womb they take you in a room and you don't remember it this is me looking at Justin saying okay <laughs> you may feel a little pressure but it's all for the sake of the gospel and Timothy does it Paul circumcises him And then you and I don't want to give up our rights. For the sake of the gospel. It's a serious calling that Lord has placed upon us. To be very open-handed with our lives. Now understand this, he did not compromise the gospel. I repeat... Paul is not calling us, Jesus is not calling us to compromise the gospel. He's not saying, well, I'm trying to reach the brothers at the strip club, so I'm going to go for the calling of the Lord. No. Well, I'm going to go by my drunk friends, my meth friends, all the, you know, Colt 45s and the blue meth that they can get so that they can ultimately see Jesus. No. We don't compromise what the Lord has called us to. What he's saying is that there's got to be flexibility. We've got to be open hand in non-gospel things. In order, why? That we might win some for the gospel. Flexibility is in the messenger. It is not in the message. That's pastor and scholar and theologian D.A. Carson so we're saying again, flexibility is in the messenger, not in the message. The way I speak to my college students about the gospel is different than the way that I speak to you. The way that I speak the gospel to a child is not overbearing. A practice all of us should take is when you're speaking to a child, even if it's fun or serious, is to get down on your knee and to be looking at them in the eye. It's not to be overburdening them. But it's to be on equal playing field with them. And that's essentially what Paul is calling us to. 
is to place yourself, if a person is in a ditch and it's not compromising the calling of the gospel and the, the, the word of God and the commands of God, then place yourself in the ditch. All for the sake of the gospel, verse 23. Look at it. I do all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So, knock this out. All of Paul's life is for the purpose of worshiping Jesus. The gospel is everything to the Apostle Paul. Everything that he does, the words that come out of his meat, how he eats, everything that he does is for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His marriage is, if he was married, would be for the sake of the gospel. In his singleness, it would be for the sake of the gospel. In his sexuality, it would be for the sake of the gospel. You don't have a job so that you can ultimately be paid. Brothers and sisters, you are bankers, you are teachers, you are retirees, you work in IT, you are nurses, you are physicians, you are lawn care workers, you uh, work in factories. Wherever you work, it is not for a paycheck, it is for a mission field. How are you living? Would they know? Would they see Jesus? Or would they see hypocrites? See, this whole thing about I'm going to share Jesus with it all the way that I'm living my life, that is anti-gospel. We do all things, specifically speak all the gospel things and live a life that is reflective of that message. Christians were never called to be silent. Even in the midst of great opposition, we are to preach the gospel at all cost. You are a student in a high school, a public school, a Christian school, in all of those things. Why? To lead people to Jesus. All for the sake of the gospel. Is our lives reflecting of that? Brothers and sisters, I've been holding on to a statement that I've been mulling around in my mind now for several months. So if you're asleep, I'm going to ask that you wake up. If you're distracted, I'm going to ask that you would you listen to me as one of your pastors. Reading the Bible is never going to be important to you. Until Jesus is first. Prayer. Prayer is not ever going to be of high value and practice to you. Until Jesus is first. Attending a church service like we're doing here this morning. You will come up with all kinds of excuses of why you can't be here. And you will continue to do so. Until Jesus is first. Your missional community the same way. Church membership the exact same way. Like you will never see the value and importance of, the, of praying. You will never see the value and importance 
of, 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 of Bible reading. You will, you will never see the value and importance of not just church attendance, but the serving of other church members and the belonging and the devotion and the commitment and the sacrifice of time, talent, and treasure. You will never see those things. You will never become serious about witnessing to the lost and dying world until Jesus is first. See, so many people are thinking, well, if I just do these things, then Monday I'm going to stand before God. He's going to like, come on in. Putting the cart before the horse. See, we want to pray because we understand that we do all for the sake of the gospel. It is because of Jesus is why I pray. I see him first, the kingdom of God, and all things will be added unto us. We love Jesus most. Our, our, prayer, our praying, our Bible reading, our sharing of the gospel, our commitment to the local church, our reaching out to our friends and our neighbors and our family members, all of that should be out of the overflow of an over, just absolutely intense infection and belief that Jesus is who he says that he is. And when I compare Jesus to my personal preferences, when I compare Jesus to what I want to do with my time or how I want to live my life or what I want to do with my mouth and to with my hands, when I look at all of life and I compare it to Jesus, then I quickly see that for the sake of the gospel, all of this stuff is rubbish, but he is everything, which then leads me to be so compelled that I want to know him more by reading his Bible. I want to know him more by praying and communicating with him. I, I want to commit to what the Bible says is the beauty of the church, that it is bride. I want to know the bride of Jesus. So I'm going to commit my life to this. I'm going to share the gospel because people are lost and undone without him, that they desperately need Jesus. God is not a universal salvation God. Not everyone is going to be saved. People are lost, dead, dying without Christ. And you and I have the message of salvation, and yet we're completely content with being silent because we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. And so Paul is telling us, is what Jesus is telling us, and we have to give up those rights, those preferences. Why? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Why? It's that we see a life of purpose, and that purpose is the gospel. That's why Paul will go on there in those last few verses. I don't have time to dive into all of them that he's going to tell you to run like a person who's actually trying to win a race. That if you know what shadow boxing is, that's the shadow boxing is like where you're punching the air, right? And Paul says he doesn't do that because it's, it's aimless. He's not... He, he's going to live in such a way that is discipline, self-control, dedication. Uh, to be one of the top athletes in the world, what do you have to do? Be completely consumed by that sport. And how much more glorious is Jesus than the sport? Kobe Bryant would call this the Mamba mentality, right? That's the way that he lived his life for a game. How much more should you and I be dedicated and devoted to the person and work of Jesus? Why? Because we want to see people come to know Jesus. As one of your pastors on this that's been set aside as Pastor Appreciation Day, 
I can't help but be overwhelmed in my own life and for the sake of our congregation, that Mission Church, for, for those of us who, who are, have been saved, if we truly understand what it means to love and to worship Jesus, then this church must become way more dedicated to the Bible, to praying, to the seeking and the saving of the lost, to the preaching of the gospel, to commitment to church membership. Not so that the Lord would just say, come on in, but no, as a, a response to who he is that there's a component within our church that is glaringly missing. And it is the glaring and living and preaching in such a way that we want to see people come to Jesus. That we want to see the lost saved. What does he say is the result of living in such a way? He tells us in verse 19, right? So that I might win some. He says in uh, verse 20 that I might win those. Um, he says in verse 21 that I might win those outside the law. He says, verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people by all means that I might save some. So many young people, so many people in general are trying to figure out what their purpose in life is. And it is this. Let me give you this for free. You don't have to college to learn this. You exist for the glory of God and the fulfillment of his will in all things. Every one of us. So it don't matter. Be a teacher, be a plumber, be a mechanic, be a welder. Be a stay-at-home mom. All for the glory of God. So you're a nurse, so that, again, you can share the gospel. You're a teacher, so that you can share the gospel. You're a plumber, so that when you're working on somebody's sink, you've got a captive audience. You don't overcharge, you don't undercharge, you give them a fair price. But most importantly, you share the gospel. That we become people that share the gospel. We are willing at Mission Church to be a people for the sake of the gospel in all things. That the gospel is constantly pouring off of our lips. Why? Because we love Jesus. Because we love Jesus. And what is the reward? To be with Jesus. That we may be poor and overlooked, gossiped about, slandered, this side of heaven. And yet the Bible repeatedly tells us over and over and over again that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have been faithful to his message and call, that the sharing of the gospel is not just for a few of us. That the sharing of the gospel, did you know that it is basic Christianity 101? It's Jesus loves me, this I know. Right? If that's elementary Christianity, the second line should be about, so I share the gospel as I go. And I just made that up. Don't steal it. Copywriting it. Okay. Don't put on a t-shirt either. But that's, that's the mentality. Of, I mean, that's, that's Christianity 101. And yet, man, who have you shared the gospel with this week? Have you done your job? And I know, you know, certain you, people you wear, work at jobs that say you can and cannot do that. I mean, we have to really get to a point where we say, well, I love Jesus more than I love this job. He may be asking you to give up that right for the sake of the gospel. We must not be silent. All that we do 
And it's not begrudging duty if you have Jesus in line. If you have Jesus in your eyesight, if you're focusing on Jesus, then it's not begrudging duty. It is a beautiful response. I live my life in such a way that I might win some. And what is my reward? Well, you may be bankrupt, homeless, hungry, and left for dead this side of heaven. I straight shoot you. But when your faith becomes sight, great is your reward. Let us live in such a way. All for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father.